The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamilgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Andriana Natsoulis. She is the campaign director at Don't Cage Our Oceans, a national coalition of fishing men and women, coastal businesses, food rights groups, marine conservation organizations, and others who are all active in protecting our oceans from the significant risks of large-scale marine finfish aquaculture operations. And we will dive into what those are. At Don't Cage Our Oceans, Ms. Natsoulis coordinates campaign development and implementation. She also manages the overall coalition, and she connects with people around the country who share an interest in protecting our ocean commons. Ms. Natsoulis has organized around environmental issues, community empowerment, and food policies in varying capacities and venues for over two decades. She has been an independent consultant and worked for organizations such as Food and Water Watch, the North American Marine Alliance, and the Northeast Organic Farming Association of New York. She was previously our guest on Food Sleuth Radio after writing the book, Food Voices, Stories from the People Who Feed Us, which is a beautiful collection of personal stories from farmers and fishermen across five countries who are part of the food sovereignty movement. And Ms. Natsoulis is based in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley, but she works nationally and internationally. Welcome, Andriana. Thank you, Melinda, for having me back. It's wonderful to have you. You are extremely well-informed about food sovereignty And I wanted to dive into some of the terms that are used in the Don't Cage Our Oceans website, as well as talk about what exactly is a factory fish farm. But there's a term that I used in your introduction called the ocean commons. Tell me what that means to you. To me, the ocean commons is one of our last frontiers, essentially, that has not been cut up and privatized for individual or corporate gain. You do find in the oceans oil rigs, and there's some fisheries management tactics and styles that in a way may privatize aspects of the oceans. But In the whole, the oceans is our last frontier. It's still a common. It's still a place where different individuals, different interests, different sectors can go and enjoy it. And so when we want to protect our ocean commons from industrial aquaculture, we're looking at preserving our ocean so that it's not cut up into tiny little pieces for various corporate interests, but rather for the ocean commons to be maintained, respected, preserved for many to enjoy and for the health of the oceans as a whole. Mm -hmm. So we now have what we call factory fish farms. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that many of us really know where our seafood and Mm -hmm. fish come from, just like we don't know about where the rest of our food comes from. 
We get it in the supermarket. It's packaged. It's neat and tidy. We bring it home. We cook it. We're hungry. And we don't often think beyond that plate of food. And so that's why I wanted you to help us understand where most of the fish comes from on our plates and in our restaurants. Tell me more about that. Right. So it really also depends on where you are. If you are in Sitka, Alaska, or Gloucester, Massachusetts, or Des Moines, Iowa, or Chicago, Illinois, you know, a lot of it also does depend on where you physically are. And so a lot of the fish that you may find if you go into a Chili's or an Applebee and you see salmon or shrimp, that salmon and shrimp is going to be farm raised. Most of the shrimp that comes into the United States is imported from shrimp farms in the Southern Hemisphere and from Bangladesh, Thailand, India, Brazil. And a lot of that shrimp is farm raised. The salmon that you find in some of these chain stores or the cheaper salmon that you might find in the fish market at your local grocery store, that is also going to be farm raised, either farm raised in the United States and Canada and Norway. And when you farm an animal to be able to feed the masses, they are going to be farmed in situations that are harmful to the environment and to the animal itself that you're raising. So a lot of people have gained knowledge and understanding about what we call confined animal feeding operations, which is where you raise a lot of cows or a lot of pigs or a lot of chickens in one little tiny space. And you're raising them with a lot of chemicals, a lot of antibiotics. And it's the same thing when you're raising fish in these pens. So we call them floating confined animal feeding operations, where you're raising a lot of fish in a small area. It's a monocrop, right? It's one species. So disease can spread faster, and then you need to apply antibiotics. And the antibiotics ends up in the flesh of the fish that you're going to eat. Now, if you're in a place like Gloucester or Sitka, Alaska, Gloucester, Massachusetts, let's say, or even New Orleans, Louisiana, you're close to the shore. And so you have more options of being able to support the local fishing communities, to support the local economies, to eat with your ecosystem. And that's not to say if you're living in the middle of the country, not to have and enjoy fish, but to really ask questions and be engaged and knowledgeable where your fish comes from. A lot of our wild salmon in the United States comes from Alaska. They catch so much wild salmon, they can't eat it all in Alaska. So you're going to find it in Chicago and Des Moines in the middle of the country. That might be a little bit more expensive, but that is going to be a healthier fish for both the environment and the seafood lover. Let me ask about labeling. So when Mm -hmm. I go into the supermarket, is it required that fish packages bear a label about where and how they're caught? You're going to find labels that do say where it came from. You won't find a label necessarily that says how it was caught. There was legislation that was mandating that, which has been repealed to some degree. The issue about where did it come from, we may 
catch fish here in the United States, then export it for processing, then re-import it. And so there's a lot of movement of fish all over the place. So you're not 100% sure where it comes from, but you do have an idea. So I live about, say, about 150 miles really from the coast. So when I go to the fish store, I do look at where it comes from. And I will buy fish that I find to be closest to where I live. And that's wild caught. And that is from the United States. So saying that if you go to a fish counter, you'll see the little tag that says wild caught or farm raised. If you go into the frozen fish section, you may see that, you may not see that. And so when I go, I do pick fish that's closest to me that's wild caught. But it does take effort. It does take thought. And one thing that I really recommend is to have the conversation with the person behind the counter selling the fish. And I'm finding that they're more and more engaged and knowledgeable because seafood lovers are asking questions. And it's really important to ask the questions and have the conversations. One thing I'd like to say about other kinds of labels, the red, green, yellow labels that we get those little cards from like the Seafood Watch, Monterey Bay Aquariums, you know, different organizations will have these little cards that make it very easy to make a decision. When we think about land-based foods, let's say apples and oranges and potatoes, we're never told eat apples, don't eat potatoes, right? Mm -hmm. We're told we're informed to think about what kind of apples, what kind of potatoes we're eating, where it comes from. And that approach can also be applied to fish and to seafood, even if you are in the middle of the country. You know, if you're in a city, you're not necessarily going to get apples and potatoes that were grown in your city, but you're going to wonder how were those apples and potatoes grown? Where did they come from? Did they come from a farm in close proximity or were they imported from halfway around the world? And that kind of approach is the same approach to be able to take with seafood. So we're not going to tell you don't eat pod, but instead eat haddock. We're really going to say, ask questions and go deeper. It's not that easy. Go deeper and really support as much as you can a local food system. And a local food system could be a very individual response. Having salmon from Alaska could be considered local because of the way that it's caught and processed. But my recommendation is always to ask questions and try to be as informed as possible. Go with wild as much as you can. Go with U.S. caught as much as you can. All right. I think we need to paint a picture of what a factory farmed thin fish operation looks like. And I want to dive deeper into what those fish are fed, as well as who owns these fish farms. So Mm. paint us a picture of what a factory fish farm looks like. A factory fish farm that we at Don't Cage Our Oceans is talking about is we're focused on federal waters. So that means that it's far out. It's three miles off from shore. And so when we're looking at these fish farms, we're talking about, let's say, Almaco Jack or Grouper or Amberjack are raised in these submersible cages where there are hundreds of thousands of fish that are grown in a cage. They are fed 
fish feed, which is a combination. There are these little pellets and the pellets have all sorts of different items inside those pellets. So you have forage fish and these are the little tiny fish that are on the bottom of the trophic scale, which are needed by the entire ocean ecosystem. Let's say menhaden, for example. So you have some forage fish in there. And then you have some supplements, some fillers. So you have GMO corn, you have GMO soy, and then you have other fillers. So there has been investigative research reporting done to discover that there's ground up chicken feathers and there's some pork remnants that are found in these pellets. And so these fish are being fed everything under the sun that is not necessarily in their natural diet. And so people like to eat fish because they have this idea that fish are high in omega-3 fatty acids and it's really, really good for you. Well, when they're fed that combination, it has been scientifically found that their omega-3 fatty acid levels actually decrease because they're not eating their natural diet, which is what allowed them to have these nutrients that are so beneficial to human health. And so they're being fed items that you would not want to consume yourself. You would not want to be eating fish that have consumed chopped up, grounded chicken feathers and pork remnants and GMO corn and soy. There's also antibiotics that are included in these pellets to be able to fight off disease because this is a monoculture. This is a monocrop. This is thousands and thousands of one species of fish being grown together. and people who are concerned about animal welfare, you know, they're crammed in these cages. And what we have found through scientific research is that if there's escapement, if the cage breaks open and these fish get out of the cage, they continue swimming in circles because that's all they know. And so again, for those who are concerned about animal welfare issues, that is a violation for a lot of animal welfare standards to put so many fish in these massive cages. Mm. And you can compare, you know, there's people say, well, well, how big are these cages? And the, it's hard to really determine, but the best that we can provide an analogy for them is similar to an Olympic size swimming pool in terms of the amount of water that would be contained in there. And then they want to, they being the fish farming industry, they're growing thousands of pounds of fish in those cages, and they're providing them with thousands of pounds of feed. Andriana, let me take one break because we are halfway through, and I want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking today with Ms. Andriana Natsoulis. She is campaign director at Don't Cage Our Oceans, a national coalition of fishing men and women, coastal businesses, food rights groups, marine conservation organization, and others who are all active in protecting our oceans from the significant risks of large-scale marine finfish aquaculture operations. Andriana, I wanted to know who or what corporations are establishing these fish farms. Do you know? Mm -hmm. Just to back up a moment, this issue of developing these industrial fish farms in our offshore waters, so three miles out, this effort has been underway in the United States for at least three decades. 
I worked on this issue, this exact same issue in the mid 2000s. And now I'm back working on it again. And I'll tell you one of the most notable differences of the proponents of the industry who wants these fish farms in our federal waters. They now include corporations that are part of the mega agribusiness sector. So we're talking about Cargill because Cargill is interested in the fish feed aspect and the GMO and the soy that's going into those pellets. Sure. We're, we're looking at Cisco in terms of food distribution and we're looking at Merck and the antibiotics that would be applied to these fish farms. Those three are very powerful corporations and they now are behind the curtain in promoting offshore fish farms. Cargill is the largest private corporation by revenue in the United States. And they have an incredible lobbying arm and a lot of power. And so they're able to go into the middle of the country now and get these members of Congress who wouldn't otherwise care to sign on to support these floating animal feeding operations because Cargill has great investment and potential in further controlling our food system through the fish feed aspect and continuing to funnel their GMO corn and soy into the fish feed. So those are, let's say, the support industry of the industrial fish farms. When we're talking about who's specifically managing and overseeing these farms, they are smaller corporations. So for example, Ocean Era is one of the companies who first started this off of the coast of Hawaii with Kona Kapachi. So Ocean Era was one of the first fish farms in the United States, and they've now are focused on research and development, and they get hundreds of thousands of dollars from the U.S. government to do research and development on these fish farms. They're currently invested in a new proposed fish farm off of Sarasota, Florida, a facility called Valela Epsilon. So Valela Epsilon is in the process of finalizing all their last permits. And we have actually have, we have allies and we have members of our coalition who have taken the Environmental Protection Agency to court over the permitting of Valela Epsilon because they did not follow necessary environmental impact assessments. So Ocean Era is behind this project off of Sarasota. We all know what happened off of Sarasota, Florida, a devastating once in a hundred year hurricane. And we're seeing these strong weather patterns increasing and increasing over the years. And a hurricane with that force ripping through the Gulf of Mexico would rip up these cages. The force of these hurricanes are much stronger than the ability to keep a cage tethered to the ocean to raise thousands of fish. This hurricane would break open a fish farm cage and allow escapement, allow interbreeding. And it's just not precautionary. It's not, in my opinion, in many's opinion, there's no precaution in protecting right. our environment that's already being devastated by so much human interaction to allow an unnecessary 
industrial floating animal confined feeding operation to be in the Gulf of Mexico. So Ocean Era is one specific company who's behind, who actually manages and oversees these facilities. Another one is Mana Farms, and they also are in the process of permitting process for Northern Florida, again, in the Gulf of Mexico, to raise red drum. And they have a goal of 12 pens after the year five of operating to raise over 3 million pounds of fish. And again, this is in the Gulf of Mexico off of Pensacola. And that company is Mana Farms in their process of going through the permitting process. So you have these smaller corporations like Mana Farms that are being backed by the Cargills and the Cisco's and the Merck of the world. And so those are the different faces of the industry, of the industrial fish farming industry. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned EPA as a regulator. Mm -hmm. What about the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration? What is their role? So we actually, our allies went to court. And the result of that court case is that NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, does not have within their purview to regulate and manage fish farms. However, they have identified specific places in the Gulf of Mexico and Southern California called aquaculture opportunity areas. Mm -hmm. So they have identified in the Gulf of Mexico nine aquaculture opportunity areas. These are areas where the NOAA believes would be good places to develop aquaculture. Two of the nine places in the Gulf of Mexico are actually in the dead zone. So what they're recommending is, first of all, contributing to the dead zone, to red algae, which is as a result of so much increased nitrogen, which you will get through fish waste. So first of all, encouraging these facilities in a dead zone, which could actually contribute to the dead zone by the increased nitrogen through fish waste. They also have identified 10 locations in Southern California. Two of those locations are close to Superfund sites where DDT was dumped. So not only are they identifying areas that are already in environmental jeopardy, but they're identifying areas that People wouldn't want to eat fish that are grown in the dead zone or that are grown close to a a Superfund site. And the reason NOAA has developed these two atlases, they call them atlases for opportunity, uh, aquaculture opportunity areas. They have identified these sites based on a Trump era executive order and it's executive order 13921. And so this executive order, which Trump put into place in May of 2020, essentially tells the agencies to move forward and start laying down the groundwork to allow these industrial fish farms. So the agencies include the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the uh, U.S. Corps of Engineers. And so we at Don't Cage Our Oceans have been trying to get the Biden administration and President Biden to revoke this. We submitted a letter to President Biden in the spring, late spring of this year of 2022, that was signed by almost 180 organizations, businesses, 
representing over 8 million people. And we received an offer, an invitation to meet with NOAA, with some of their leadership, but it did not result in anything. And so, you know, this is a Trump era executive order that President Biden allows to stay on the books. And it's allowing the agencies to move forward and developing the framework to establish these industrial fish farms. And from what we're seeing, NOAA isn't taking much precaution when they're identifying two in the Gulf of Mexico within the dead zone and two in Southern California that's in close proximity to a Superfund site. Mm. Andriana, I am going to provide a link to Don't Cage Our Oceans, and it's simply don'tcageouroceans.org. That's because. You've got a fantastic website that has frequently asked questions because I know our listeners will want to know much more. I want to get back to the consumer. I've always been told that Atlantic salmon is a red flag. If you ever see that on a menu or in the supermarket, avoid it because it is almost always farmed raised. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The two species, which are the most popular for you as consumers, um, the two species that you're going to find that are most often farm-raised are shrimp and salmon. And so, yes, Atlantic salmon, if you see Atlantic salmon, that is farm-raised. There is no more Atlantic salmon wild fishery, even though Alaska may be far away, depending on where you are, but Alaskan salmon is some of the best salmon that you can find. You know, it travels quite a distance, but it is a good alternative. With just a few minutes remaining, to share with our audience of people who care about what they eat, give us some action steps or give us some pieces of information that you want to make sure we take home. Yeah, you know, the thing I've already said, you know, stay away from Atlantic salmon, stay away from farm-raised shrimp. Ask, have these conversations with your fishmonger at the seafood counter. Ask them, where does this come from? How was it raised? If you can support local fisheries. One type of aquaculture that we at Don't Cage Our Oceans does support are small scale recirculating farms. So these are farms that can be on land and they're recirculated systems which means there isn't a lot of pollution running off into the environment. And you can find catfish and tilapia grown. And again, eat with your ecosystem as much as you can. Ask questions. Try to stay as local as you can. Support your local economy, your local community, and be an informed consumer. Check out our webpage, don'tcageouroceans.org. And just really try to be an informed consumer. We do have some information, some fact sheets on our webpage to try to provide a little bit more direction and support for consumers who want to eat responsibly and want to support good practices. And there are some types of aquaculture, as I just said, closed on-land systems growing tilapia and catfish. There's a incredible increase in seaweed production. A lot of that's happening along our coastal zones and it's offering new ways of supporting coastal communities and coastal economies. Stay away from anything that's genetically modified, stay away from farm salmon, stay away from farm shrimp, and just really, really be informed. Mm -hmm. Well, Don't Cage Our Oceans is a great resource to get started in learning more about this issue. We are out of time, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. 
Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Andriana Natsoulis, Campaign Director at Don't Cage Our Oceans. Andriana, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's really nice speaking with you again.